0: Our scripture reading for this evening comes from 2 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 2, verse 13, reading till chapter 3, verse 5. That's page 1182 in the Pew Bibles. 2 Thessalonians 2, we're going to begin in verse 13. This comes just after Paul has discussed a great apostasy, or falling away in the church, where the man of sin and lawlessness is revealed, a time where sin will spread. But this comes... As an encouragement to the church, he reminds them of the gospel and he encourages them in Christ. So even though in many ways we are in dark days and see dark days, we're reminded of the gospel, God's faithfulness, and this prayer of encouragement. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, this is God's holy word. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this. He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brethren stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good word and work. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have this confidence in the Lord concerning you. That you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And into the steadfastness of Christ. And verse 5 is our text for this evening. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And into the steadfastness of Christ. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be with us once again as we worship again this evening of the Lord's Day. Lord, we do desire to give you our attention because you are worthy. And we pray that your word will bear fruit in our hearts. That your Holy Spirit will make our hearts to be fertile soil for the growth of your word. That we would all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. We thank you that you do honor your word. That it goes forth and bears fruit. Bear fruit in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon title in your bulletin tonight says, Lord, guide my wandering heart. Um, I might—I made a last-minute change to the title. Same sermon. Don't worry. Uh, but I thought a more fitting title might be Rooted and Running. These are the two key ideas we're going to talk about tonight. Being rooted and running. Rooted in love and running with perseverance. As I said when I introduced myself to you guys earlier, I'm from British Columbia. And one of the wonderful things about being from British Columbia is that we have all these wonderful mountains and forests to hike. And I love hiking. It's one of my favorite pastimes. And it's just such a wonderful activity, being out in God's creation, going around into the wilderness, away from the hustle and bustle of life. But, you know, there are dangers that can come with hiking. And the main one that people often talk to me about And my mom worries about is the threat of bears or other wild animals, mountain lions, what have you. But actually, wild animals are one of the least dangerous parts of hiking. They account for about 4% of hiking fatalities. What is actually the most dangerous element of hiking, the greatest danger to the hiker, is getting lost. Wandering off trail and being lost in the woods is by far the number one cause of calls to search and rescue and fatalities in the wilderness. And the problem is that we are really naturally bad at having a good sense of direction. And so when you lose the trail that's been marked out, people very quickly get disoriented and they start wandering. And people are said to generally wander in hundred yard zigzags. They'll go 100 yards this way, 100 yards that way. And there's many stories where people have perished in the wilderness less than a mile from the trail. They don't end up way off in the woods, but they wander close by, but never quite making it. Uh, our sense of direction, we have this aimless wandering that can be devastating to our physical life. And in the same way, our hearts are really prone to wander. Like that beloved hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the god that i love and our hearts are naturally they are fickle and deceptive we know and they lead us into ways that destroy us when we follow after the desires of the flesh the lusts and passions that our heart leads us to it results in our own hurt because our hearts are so prone to go after what is not ultimately good And so as we seek to stay on the trail, with our pronest to wander, we need, in a physical sense, you need to keep the trail. It's good to have a map and compass. It's amazing to have a guide that knows the area and can direct you. And in our lives, we need guidance. We need the Lord to guide us through many dangers, toils, and snares. And there are so many obstacles that seek to hinder our walk in the Christian life. And I think we could summarize them in simply talking about we come against trials, we come up against temptations, and we come up against false teachings, trials that press us and discourage us in our faith, temptations that seek to allure us into the world, false teachings that seek to corrupt the truth of God. These are obstacles to the journey, and we need the Holy Spirit to guide us through them, to lead us in God's love, to lead us in Christ's faithfulness. And this idea of persevering through temptations, trials, and false teachings was a preeminent thought in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. This comes at the end of his second letter, and Paul wrote them both very close together. And if you don't remember, the story of the Thessalonian church we find out in Acts 17. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and if you remember the story where in Philippi... Paul and his buddy Silas end up in jail. And they sing praises to God. The jail breaks open. The Philippian jailer is converted with his household. And then Paul leaves Philippi. Clearly, it was a dangerous place to be. And the next place he goes is to Thessalonica. And what he does there is he preaches in the synagogue um, for multiple Sabbaths, and a lot of people get saved. It talks about even how um, high eminent women in the city got saved. A great many of the Jews believed. And the problem, though, is that not many of the Jewish leaders were okay with this. And very quickly, this fast-growing Thessalonian church became persecuted. Fiercely persecuted by these Jewish leaders. So much so that as Paul is pouring out himself, teaching, training this brand new church, there ends up, he's at a guy named Jason's house. They're all meeting, a church is meeting at Jason's house. And there ends up being a riot outside the house. And this is such a dangerous situation. The church is fearing for Paul's life. Paul escapes, and Paul follows Jesus' instruction where he says, when you're persecuted in one city, flee to the next. And so Paul unexpectedly has to leave Thessalonica really quickly, and he goes to Berea, where you remember that verse where the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians and looked into God's word. Um, Clearly talking against the Thessalonian leaders that rejected God's word, because there was a church that accepted it. But Paul had to leave really rapidly. So when Paul is writing 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, his heart, his main idea is he's writing to a brand new baby church who he's worried will forsake the Lord because this church was encountering trials. There was first fierce persecutions, and he didn't want this church to be that rocky soil where the word doesn't bear any fruit. This church was also surrounded by many temptations. He talks in 1 Thessalonians 4 about the temptations to sexual immorality and the terrible sexual immorality that existed in this city. And sin and temptation can also shipwreck a church, can shipwreck our faith. But also there was false teaching entering in very quickly. These letters are concerned a lot about false teaching about the return of Christ. Because you see, there were some people that were teaching Jesus was going to come back any second. And so people had quit their jobs, and they were just being lazy, not doing anything, because they thought Christ would come at any moment. Other people were trying to teach that Christ had already come, and somehow people here had missed out. And other people were teaching that if you had died before Christ returned, you wouldn't partake of the resurrection, but you'd be left out. Only those who were alive would be part of the resurrection. So just like we face trials, temptations false teaching, so did this Thessalonian church. And Paul writes these two letters to them, dealing with each of these issues. And in chapter 2 of this letter, he was, as I said, talking about this falling away apostasy. And then as we read, he encourages them in the gospel that God chose them from the beginning for salvation. God called them through sanctification of the Spirit. He prays that God would comfort and strengthen them. And he asks them to pray for himself. And as this church is hearing these letters, and they're being warned about these trials, these temptations, these false teachings that are accosting them, it could be um, an opportunity for them to fear. And I think as we think about the reality of people we know who fall away from the Lord, people who fall into sin, it can cause us to fear as well, because we know the sin and unbelief that dwells in our own hearts, don't we? But Paul encourages them in chapter 3, verse 3, and he says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. What a wonderful promise, that the Lord is faithful to his people and protects them. And he says in verse 4, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. So he encourages them. Remember, in all these trials you're facing... The Lord is faithful. We're confident you're going to follow him. And yet, Paul prays. We're looking at this prayer in verse 5. And yes, we remember God's faithfulness. We remember that he who started a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ. And so we can trust the Lord, yet we still pray earnestly that God would keep us. That God would guide us. That God would direct us. And so we see, he then comes to verse 5. And this is sort of a concluding prayer to all these thoughts. This is his last wish in this section for this church. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. This summarizes his hopes, his wishes for the Thessalonian church. And this is my hope for Covenant URC tonight. My hope that you guys would have a desire for the Holy Spirit to be directing your hearts into God's love and into the steadfastness of Christ. And this is a beautiful verse. It's a Trinitarian verse. As Paul is often Trinitarian in his prayers, it begins saying, The Lord direct your hearts. The term Lord in the books of Thessalonians usually refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ the Lord. As the one who directs the heart. But we know that Christ is ascended sitting at the Father's right hand. So as Christ directs us, how does Christ direct us? Christ directs us by the work of the Holy Spirit, whom he ascended to send, the helper, our comforter. And so the Lord directs us by the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in our hearts. So when we think of the Lord directing us, we should also think of the Holy Spirit directing us. That Christ directs us by the Holy Spirit. And because we know that we are bad at directing our hearts, right? Our hearts wander. When we direct our own hearts, we fall into all manner of sin and temptation. And we need to pray in dependence on the Lord that he would direct our hearts. And where should he direct our wandering hearts? Two places preeminently. He needs to direct our hearts into the love of God. The term God in the book of Thessalonians, as well as the majority of the New Testament, refers specifically to God the Father. Almost every time in these two letters the term God is used. It's in reference to God the Father. So our hearts be directed into the love of God the Father. And secondly, to be directed into the steadfastness of Christ. That is, the, the, the word steadfastness could be perseverance, or endurance, or patience, That steadfastness of Christ, that is, the steadfastness that Christ exemplified in his earthly ministry as he bore the insults of men, as he bore pain, persecution, and then as he endured, set his face like flint to go to the cross, accomplishing his father's will. He's the example, but then Christ also the source of all this strength and perseverance that our hearts should be directed into. And so, The theme, as I said earlier, is rooted and running. If we are going to succeed in following the path of the Christian life, allowing God's word to be our map, allowing the Holy Spirit to be our faithful guide, we need to be rooted in love. Our vertical relationship with God the Father. To be secure in our adoption as sons. We need to be rooted in love. But we also It's not a rootedness that stands still, but a rootedness that also runs. Rooted, yet running. Running with the perseverance that Christ exemplified. Running with that persevering heart that Christ gives us by his Spirit. That's where we're going tonight. We're looking at being rooted and being running. Rooted in love, running in perseverance. So first, let's look at this petition. What are we asking? What are we desiring when we're desiring to be rooted in love. I think the first question that comes up when Paul prays, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, is what is he talking about? Is he meaning direct your hearts into the love of God towards us? To step into the love that God has for us? Or is he saying to direct your hearts into your love towards God? To direct your hearts in loving God? And I really don't think we have to choose. I think the answer is both. Because love in our relationship with God is impossible to be one-sided. Because you see, our love to God always arises as a response to God's love for us. Do you remember 1 John 4.19, which says we love because he first loved us? Our love to God is a response to his love for us. Um, When I'm seeking to be filled, or when I grow in love for my wife, it often comes because I'm thinking about and acknowledging her love for me. As I ponder how good my wife has been to me, how faithful, how much good she's done to me, love arises in my heart as a renewed response. And that's the nature of love, to receive and respond. And so if we're gonna be people who love God deeply, we need to be people who know God's love deeply. And not just a generic love of God, but the adopting love of our Father. Jesus taught us to pray, Father. I think one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is the last verse of John 17, where Jesus prays saying, I have revealed your name to them, and will reveal it, that the love with which you have loved me would be in them, and I would be in them. That is, Jesus is praying that the same love that he's loved with by his Father, the love of the Father for the Son, would be the love of the Father for you. Do you know that if you are in Christ Jesus, God the Father loves you in the same way that he loves his Son? It almost sounds blasphemous to think about, that I am loved in the way Christ is. Because we are united to the head. We are in Christ. We're united to Christ, our elder brother, and so are adopted as sons of God and so recipients of our Father's love. This is an incredible truth. And love can often be a sort of generic idea to us. And I found it helpful one time. A professor was teaching about love having three main elements. And he said those were allegiance, action, and affection. Allegiance, that faithful commitment to someone. Action, those acts of service, doing good to another. And affection, that actual feeling of love in our hearts. So let's look at each of those in relation to us being rooted in the Father's love. First, our allegiance. We remember that our Father is faithful to his children. He was faithful to you if you trust in Christ in eternity past. To choose a people. To elect them. And then in time to send his own son to die for them. To bear sin, shame, the cross. In time to send his Holy Spirit to work in your heart. That you would know what it means to trust in Christ. And to know the Father's love. And to everyone who's been adopted into the Father's family. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. The Father will keep you through your life through the trials and temptations, unto eternity. What a faithful God to us. God is jealous for us. He cares to be our God. And then that we would be his people. Because we're called in this love relationship to also be faithful to God. Do you remember how friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's a, having allegiance to the lusts of our flesh, allegiance to the things of this world is against having allegiance to God. That's the first commandment. To have God be our God. To have no other gods before him. And so to be rooted in love is to be rooted in having God first. Having God have the preeminent place in our lives. Allegiance. But also action. Love can't be stale. For there to be true love, there has to be actions of love. Acts of love. Acts of self-denial where you're seeking to please the other person. Um, Even, again, in marriage, self-denial is of the essence of love because you deny yourself in order to please someone else. So even in the smallest things, when you deny your leisure time in the evening to do the dishes for your spouse so that they can have the pleasure of not having to, or you deny a bit of strength in your hands to give them a nice massage... Or you deny spending time flipping through your phone so that you can have a nice talk together. Even in these little things, love is shown in our self-denial. And so in our love to God, we deny ourselves so that we can serve God. Because this is what love to God means in action. It means a desire to please him in all we do. And this is also the essence of the fear of the Lord, where God factors into every thought and every situation, where we live in the reality of God. What would God think? How would God desire me to act in this situation? I have remarked before that this was kind of like what it was like when I was dating my wife. I said there was like this Julie factor, where in everything I was doing, I would think, oh, would Julie like this outfit? Would Julie like if I treated her family member this way? Would Julie like if we went to this restaurant for a date? And we recognize that sometimes in human relationships when we're really caring. But if we cared as much about God, and about that God factor, is God pleased with how I dress? Is God please, pleased with where I'm going? Is God pleased with the way I'm speaking? We need that God factor, where our actions of love, denying the loss of the flesh, to live in acts of love for God, to do good for the kingdom of God. And that really should be the goal of the Christian life to do as much good for God's kingdom out of love for our Savior as we can. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, the love of Christ compels us to live not for ourselves, but for Him who died for our sakes and was raised. So there's allegiance and action, but also love involves affection. And I think a lot of times, especially as reformed people, we are aware. of the the existence of God's love, but we don't often find the experience of God's love. We know the facts of his love for us, but not the feeling. And we are naturally often, we can be wary of feelings, because we know pure emotion, pure affection, without this allegiance and action, is not true love. But true affection is indeed an aspect of true love. And how do we stir up? How do we experience God's affection for us? We meditate on the truths of his word. We think about how he tells us in Psalm 139 that his thoughts towards us are more than can be numbered. Or how he says to the church in the Song of Songs, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. We contemplate these things. And as we think about God's love, that's where that reciprocal love for him rises up in our hearts. When we think about his beauty, his holiness and goodness, but then also his goodness towards us, his kindness towards us in Christ, when you really set your mind to it, that ought to warm your heart with affection for God. And so to be rooted in love, this is what we need the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts into, because this settles us in life. This is our foundation of life. That we wouldn't be running after the world, be rooted in love for the world, but we live life rooted in this love relationship with our father as his children. And when we're secure in the father's love, and are loving him in return, this frees us to live lives of obedience, not out of mere duty, but out of love. We want to be rooted in love. But secondly, the second petition in our text is that your hearts would be directed into the steadfastness of Christ. Which, as I said, could be into Christ's perseverance. That perseverance that he's the example of, and he is the source of. Christ ran on the mission that the Father had for him. His food was to do his will, and so it should be for us. So this picture of perseverance, if love was a picture, we were talking about marriage, perseverance is maybe a picture of running a race. And it does take endurance to run a race. Because races are tiring. Races are difficult. There can be different obstacles that come up. And so we as Christians, we need perseverance, endurance to bear with the troubles that come our way. And recognizing that there are so many things in life that seek to throw us off course and to hinder us in the race we're running. Remember Hebrews 12 where we're called to throw off the sin and the weights that cling to us so that we can run hard after Christ. And so I want us to quickly look at four four obstacles to perseverance, four difficulties that we as Christians need the Holy Spirit to lead our hearts through, four things that we need to conquer and endure and press on through if we're going to follow God. We need to deal with the obstacles of discouragement, discontent, distraction, and disobedience. First, discouragement. Discouragement is a great hindrance to our perseverance. Paul says to the Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you? And this is the sad thing that in our lives often, we've probably all had times like this where you get really excited about something. Something about serving God. Maybe You're excited as a dad about leading your family in worship in a new and intentional way. But then maybe you get discouraged when the kids don't respond the way you wish. They don't listen the way you wish. And you're growing discouraged. Maybe you were excited to be a part of a ministry in the church. And maybe that ministry didn't go well. Maybe it shut down and you're feeling discouraged. Maybe you were seeing signs of growth and repentance in a child that is turned away from the faith. But you've seen those signs since dwindle away, and you're discouraged. We need the Holy Spirit to give courage to our hearts and all these discouragements that we would persevere in good. A couple verses later, in verse 13, Paul says, do not grow weary in well-doing. And you remember, he says a similar thing in Galatians 6. Don't grow weary in doing good, but knowing that in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So we have need to pray that the Holy Spirit would grant courage to us to keep doing what we know is right and what we know is good even though we're not seeing particular fruit at this time. We need courage through the Spirit, the courage of Christ. Secondly, we need to persevere through the obstacle of discontent. Discontent is an unhappiness with our circumstances. You're running the race, but the race is hard. The race is tiring. The sun is beating down on you, and you're feeling spent. And discontent with our circumstances, as different trials press in on us, can come in many different ways. Discontent can come when you're in a state of health that is not what you would wish. You would wish to be healthy and free to do the things you wish with wish but things have not gone that way. You're dealing with frequent ailments and you're tempted to be discontent and upset against the Lord for this. Or perhaps it is discontent with relationships. Maybe your relationship with your spouse isn't the way you wish it was. Maybe you feel like you made a mistake in who you're married, and now you're stuck in this difficult, trying relationship. Or maybe it's that you long for the relationship of a spouse, but you're still single. Maybe it's discontent with your financial situation, that you didn't receive the promotion you were promised, that you just so happened to lose your job, and now it's difficult finding work. And in all these trials, these sufferings that we experience discontent is what we need to fight against so strongly. Because discontent with our circumstances is that attitude that the Israelites had in the wilderness. Where they said, God, you gave us manna, but we don't want just manna. We want more. We want the leeks and the onions of the Egyptians. Or when they said, God, why would you have Moses lead us? Let's have someone else lead us. Someone with more charisma. Someone with more strength. Or when they said, God, why did you lead us to the promised land? There's giants here. Don't you know we're going to have to fight? Don't you know we're going to have to battle? Why would you do this? And we can have the same attitude towards God. God, why would you have taken that help from me just when I needed it? Why would you have taken that relationship from me when it was so dear and precious to me? Why would you have caused my family to struggle in this way? It doesn't make any sense. But God gives his children good gifts. God doesn't afflict needlessly. God, every trial you've ever experienced, you've needed. Because God loves you so much that he'll give you things you would never have accepted on your own. Because he's trying to make you more like the son. God is trying to make you more like Jesus. And when you reject the good gifts he's given you that try you and press you, and they do hurt, it is hard, it is trying, but don't look away from your father. We can't always know why, but we can know who. Our faithful father. Our faithful, loving heavenly father who didn't spare his own son, who gave up his son that you might have life in his name. Don't push away from God in the discontentment with the circumstances that you're in. But look to the Father's love. Be rooted and persevere through it. Pray to the Holy Spirit for the contentment, for peace that passes understanding. And the point is, you can't do it on your own. You can't find contentment in these things on your own. That's why we need this prayer. That's why we need the Holy Spirit dwelling and living in our hearts. So that we can do the impossible. Be content when everything in life is against us. Oh, dear saints, you have need of endurance. You have need of the perseverance of Christ. There's discontent. There's discouragement. But there's also distractions. Often, out of discontent, we seek to find meaning and life and joy from things of this world. Maybe lawful things, but things that distract us from the best thing. And these are often, can be gifts from the Lord that we overindulge in. Lawful pleasures that we make to be too eminent in our life. Maybe there's distractions in your life such as leisure, entertainment, sports, hobbies, just generally hanging out with friends, the distractions of family life. Um, love of enjoying food and drink. and these things so quickly take our, uh, cause us to take our eyes off of Christ. We think i've done my work in the day and now the evening is for me. Uh, the old preacher J.C. Ryle would say that you can really tell a man's spirituality by how he spends his evenings. Do you give God any part of your evenings, or are those all for yourself and for those temporal carnal distractions? that are not going to go with you into eternity. Yes, God gives us gifts of rest, recreation, joy, and relationships, and food and drink, and all these things. But they can't distract us from the mission. Brothers and sisters, there's work to do. Maybe you're not training to be a minister. Maybe you're not um, any official leader in the church in any capacity. But you're called to work for the kingdom of God. Don't think that you're going to get by with just living the same life as everyone else, with God on the side. You're called to be a soldier in the kingdom, called to be a worker in God's vineyards. Work training your children. Give an encouraging word to the discouraged. Help those that are in these trying circumstances that we talked about. There's so many needs in this room that you guys don't know about. And you will get to know them as you get deeper into each other's lives, as you press in and love to each other, to find ways to serve, to find ways to love one another. Don't let the distractions of trying to save your time, your talent, your treasures for yourself. Give them up in the service of God. There's distractions. But then lastly, there's also disobedience. And disobedience can be the most harmful to faith. Hidden sin destroys the soul. And Paul was aware of this, and that's why he really warned the church in 1 Thessalonians 4 against the dangers of lust and sexual immorality. Because that impurity and that unholiness corrupts faith, and it hurts faith, and destroys faith. And if you're walking in willful disobedience in this area, you need to repent, which is not just confessing sin, but confessing and forsaking sin, knowing that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We need to put off all disobedience, or the disobedience of anger, if Sexual morality is the most corrupting. Anger is right up there with it. To destroy a home with anger, with snide remarks, with sarcasm, with raised voices, all these elements of anger, frustration, irritability, annoyance, these things, they hurt our relationships and they destroy our joy in the Lord. And so if we're going to persevere in what God's called us, we need to stop disobeying God's law because God gives us His commands for our good that we would share it as holiness and live in the joy of the Lord. We need to walk in disobedience. So, if we're going to be rooted and running, we run after the example of Christ by taking courage, by looking to contentment in the Lord, by not being distracted, but actually having traction in our lives, to have traction as we move forward and actually make progress in the Christian life, and by obedience... And again, these are all works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to remember, brothers and sisters, as we look at this, this is a tall order. To be rooted and running in the way that God truly calls us is a work we can't do. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we need to remember that as we seek to be really the best Christians God could call us to be, that we aren't doing this to earn the Father's love. Because remember, he's given us his love. He's given us himself fully. We don't persevere in this way and endure in this way so that we'll get brownie points and maybe our dad will give us a pat on the back. No, we obey out of the love of the Father, knowing that we're so loved that we're freed to obey. We're freed to fearlessly obey the Lord and to walk in the way he would call us. We obey out of thankfulness to our Lord who has redeemed us. God is so faithful to us. And Jesus died to forgive us for all these things that we don't do. Jesus died for your discontentment. Jesus died for your distraction and discouragement and disobedience. For everyone who puts their faith in him, all these things are covered by his blood. And maybe you're sitting here today, And this talk sounds unfamiliar to you. This idea of being in a love relationship with the Father sounds entirely foreign. This idea of running with the perseverance of Christ, why would you even want to do that? To you today, this prayer can also be for you. If you don't know the love of the Father in your heart, call on the Lord to direct your heart into his love, to open your eyes to see the beauty of what it means that Jesus died and for your sake was raised that he died to bear sin, to take shame, that he might give everyone who trusts in him his righteousness, to give them a holiness not their own. And so every one of us, everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be put to shame, but as Colossians 1 says, will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before God the Father. And so the Father can love his people because they're clothed in the holiness of Of Jesus Christ. So, my closing thought for you tonight, as we've talked about being rooted in the Father's love, running this Christian race with perseverance, is really that you would desire this, that you would want the Holy Spirit to direct your heart, that you would want the Holy Spirit to lead your heart into God's love. That you would desire, as Romans 5.5 5 says, for the Holy Spirit to shed abroad the love of Christ in your heart. That you would greatly desire to be given strength by the Spirit to fight sin. To be given strength to persevere through trials. Strength to be content in all circumstances. That you would desire these things and then go after them in prayer. To seek after these things in prayer, even learning daily, even, you might even want to do this this week. To every day pray this prayer in Second Thessalonians 3.5. Lord, direct my heart into the love of God. Direct my heart into the steadfastness of Christ. Desire this, pray for this, and then go after it in life. Let's pray to God. Lord, you have called us with a high calling. You've called us to be your co-laborers. You've raised us up and seated your people, those saints of God, in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And Lord, we want to live up to the calling you've called us with. We desire, Lord, to serve you on earth. But we admit that we get so easily distracted. We so easily wander in our hearts. So Lord, forgive us for our wandering. Forgive us for going after the flesh. Forgive us for going after the world. Forgive us for following our own lusts. And help us to follow you in the strength of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we admit that we're weak. We admit that we need to depend on you. And we do ask that you will grant a greater measure of the Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives to purify us, that we'd be a people for your own possession, a people zealous of good works. Lord, for Covenant URC, that you would... Bless all these saints with perseverance, that they would not grow weary in doing good, that they wouldn't grow weary of attending your worship together, of serving one another, of serving their families, of working hard in their places of employment, of discipling their children, of seeking to fight the sin in their own lives. Lord, grant my brothers and sisters strength. Grant them a greater measure of your love, that they would know truly what it means to be an adopted son of the Most High King. Lord, make these realities to be true in our lives and lead us in them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.